Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. Please turn to Exodus chapter 4 as we continue through our series in Exodus. Moses has just uh, experienced the presence of God in the burning bush and God has called him uh, to go back to Israel who are in Egypt in slavery. So let's listen to God's words together. Exodus chapter four, starting at verse 18. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they're still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I've put in your power. But I'll harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you should say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint And cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood, because of the circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak. And all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Now Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. Amen. Now we're living in strange times at the moment when the, the importance of the, the individual has never been stronger. You know, you do you, uh, whatever makes you happy. And yet, we're also a really lonely society. Everyone has probably felt lonely at some point here. But in the, in the UK last year, nearly four million people said they felt lonely often or always. Four million people, isn't that tragic? Deep down, we all long to be part of something bigger than ourselves. We, we long to belong. 
to know and be known. There's an organization called Action for Happiness who has belonging as one of its ten pillars of happiness and they, they recommend just doing, doing stuff with other people. That's a good idea, isn't it? You know, join a club, find a hobby with others. But is that it? Is that all it means to belong? Just do something with someone? Or is there more to it than that? Because God, he hasn't created just a club or a society, has he? He's created a people, a church. And in the church, we have something glorious, something people long for, belonging, yes, but more than that. It's family, it's salvation, it's restoration to God himself together. It's a central part of what God is doing when he saves people. He's bringing them into his church And here in Exodus 4, we get a little picture of someone and his family, in a sense, joining the church. Moses, he's in Midian, far away from God's people. And as you can see from this little heading in the Bible, this section is about his return to Egypt. Now, he's spoken to God in verse 18, he heads back to Jethro, the head of the wider family, asks his permission to leave, which Jethro gives And Moses knows he's good to go because God's begun his salvation. The men who are seeking his life are dead. He can head back, get an audience with Pharaoh. Verse 20, so Moses took his wife and his sons and put them on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. But this is more than just a change of country. Moses is heading back to be with his people, to the people of God, to Israel. That's not to say he's not a believer at this point. He's clearly believing the Lord. But this, this physical move is actually about a community move. It's a bit like when we moved up here as a family up to Aberdeen. You know, yes, it's, it's a physical move for us. It's a long way from London. But more than that, it was about joining you guys, about joining a church family. Or perhaps think of more of someone who's lived away from their friends and family for a long time. Perhaps that's you. You know, you've lived in Aberdeen for study or for work. And then it's time to go home. And you have that kind of nervous excitement as you get on the bus. You just can't sit still as you wander the departure lounge waiting for your aeroplane. And you stare out the plane window as you see the miles flash, counting down the minutes. And then the relief. Feeling of home, I'm back where I belong. As you walk out and see those smiling faces. Moses' move here is representing something big. It's, it's him rejoining God's people. It's him coming back to where he belongs. And in that, in this little strange passage, Moses is giving us an insight into what the church is, how we join it, what its purpose is. Because here in this passage, we've got three clear moments. Once they've left, we've got first got 21 to 23. God speaks to Moses, and we we see the way God describes the church to him, reminding him who he's going back to. Then, 24 to 26, we get this strange incident with a flint. We'll come to it. It's an important moment, reminding Moses how to join God's people. And then lastly, 27 to 31, we get Moses reunited, first with his brother, and then with the elders and the people of God, reunited in worship, back where he belongs. So if you're not, not a Christian here this evening, and you've been wondering, what does becoming a Christian actually involve? What would I be joining? 
Well, listen up this evening because Moses' strange journey will really help you. And if you are a Christian here this evening, God wants to remind us of the wonderful privileges that we have being part of his people. And may that challenge us as well as we live for him. So we've got three aspects of joining God's people. One, we're joining God's precious son. Two, we're joining through the spilling of blood. And three, we're joining for God's glory. So firstly, we're joining God's precious son. So Moses, he's on his way. And here in verses 21 to 23, we get another little speech of God uh, from God to Moses. I'm not quite sure when it happened, but it's kind of a quick pep talk, isn't it? God's reminding Moses of two things. Firstly, his task. Moses, you've got to head to Pharaoh. You've got to do the miracles. You've got to say your stuff. And God, once again, is warning him that it's not going to be plain sailing. Actually, God's going to harden Pharaoh's heart so that he says no. Now, this might be a strange thing to say, and it's going to come up quite a lot in the next few chapters. So I'm sure we're going to return to this idea. But just in passing here, it's important to note God doesn't force Pharaoh to do anything against his own will. The source of Pharaoh's sin is Pharaoh. He hardens his own heart. But we do see here nothing, nothing is outside of God's control. God directs, God restrains, God creates. He is involved in our human hearts in a way we don't understand. So God's got a way this is going to work. And in his sovereign power, he's going to use Pharaoh's sin. Even more than that, he's going to confirm Pharaoh's sin. Part of his judgment on Pharaoh is to harden Pharaoh's heart all the more. But in the midst of it all, God's going to show his glory. He's going to save his people and he's going to judge Pharaoh. All in righteousness, all in justice. But it's what God says next that I want to focus on. Because here God is giving us a window into something wonderful about his people. Verse 22. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, Let my son go, that he may serve me. This is an extraordinary thing to say. This small group of people enslaved in the midst of the great nation of Egypt. They're pitiful, they're weak, they're suffering, they're stretched to their limit, and God says, this is my firstborn son. Such an incredible love here. I remember a a moment a long time ago when I was with some friends, and they they had a little four-year-old who who would just tantrum and cry and scream and tantrum the whole time. Uh, Like everything was a battle, getting dressed, eating food, going out at the shops. And at the time I was like, oh my my goodness, how do you look after this thing? Like why why would you let him back in your house? But the mother just said this. She said, but he's my little boy. He's my little boy. There was such a deep love that went far beyond what I saw. As God looked at his people, he saw something very different to what Pharaoh saw, even to what Moses saw. This pitiful, enslaved band of brothers and sisters was his precious, chosen, firstborn son. He had deemed to put his his love on this group, bind himself to this group with a covenant. This little comment of God's, although it would become the message for Pharaoh, here it's for Moses. Moses, this is who you're heading back to. 
It's my son. You're rejoining my son, Pharaoh. He's refusing to free my precious son. Do you get the importance of what you're about to do? Listen to how Philip Ryken puts it in his commentary. At the very deepest spiritual level, the Exodus is a story about sonship, about a father's love for his only son. Israel's deliverance is the true history of a loving father who rescued his children so they could be together as family. Now at this point in Israel's history, this language of sonship, well it has meaning, but it's only when Jesus Christ comes do we get the full picture. Because as we meet Jesus, we realize before Israel, there was an eternal son. Yes, Israel are the firstborn, the chosen people here on earth in history, but they're called God's son because actually their identity is really bound up with the eternal son. Jesus is the true son, the true Israel, the one who is with the father from the beginning. And God's people, well, we're united to him, aren't we, to Jesus. So it's in Jesus we become the firstborn son. Listen to how Paul puts it in Romans 8. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. We're children, why? Because the Spirit has made us fellow heirs with Christ. As we sung earlier, we come to the Father through Jesus the Son. This is the nature of God's people. It's a family. It's God's family. His precious Son found in Christ. That's who Moses was heading back to. That's who he's going back to join. God was placing on Moses' heart the preciousness of his people. You know, as we sit here together on this dark evening, by God's grace, we are part of something much, much bigger than ourselves, more beautiful than we could imagine. We are part of God's precious son, loved in Christ, showered with grace and blessing, rescued and restored, healed and forgiven, And it isn't based on on how we look or how powerful we are, our income, the clothes we wear, our skin color or nationality. We are children of God. We can say together, our Father in heaven. And that means the Christian person sitting next to you is part of God's precious son. They're a vital part of God's family. Whatever they're wearing, whatever they look like, whether they're suffering or enslaved or, or s- sit there with prestige and wealth. And so we may, go to, may we go towards each other. Like Moses, may we take difficult steps towards the pain, towards those in difficulty, towards those who need help with words of encouragement, those who need pointing to Christ or a helping hand. Why? Because we've joined God's precious son. But as Moses moved towards God's people along that dusty road in Midian, God had to remind him that yes, his covenant was one of grace, but it wasn't just a free-for-all. He is still a holy God. So secondly, yes, we're joining God's precious son, but we're also joining through the spilling of blood. 
through the spilling of blood. Now, as Moses makes his way towards Egypt, we do have this really strange little event, don't we, in verses 24 to 26. And there are some unknowns about it. But the central message is clear. So Moses and his family, they're staying at some kind of stopover. It's like an ancient version of a motel. And, and, and somehow the Lord comes against Moses. Well, now, we presume it's Moses because he's the only person we've been introduced to so far. And in some way, God is seeking to put him to death. Now, after all that's gone on, this is pretty shocking. Uh, the, the guy God is about to save Israel through, and now he's fearing for his life from God. And we're not sure how they knew he was about to die. Was, it, I don't know, was he struck down by an illness? I'm not sure, but whatever happens, clearly Moses isn't able to act and do something about what's gone wrong, because it's Zipporah, his wife, who acts. And she's seen the problem, verse 25. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it. So for some reason, Moses' son, probably Gershom, hasn't been circumcised. Now this was a father's responsibility. So Moses had failed to give the sign of God's covenant to his son. Here was his family, heading back to be uh, joining God's people, and they weren't even marked as such. Zipporah realized it, perhaps, we don't know, maybe this was an ongoing discussion in the background of the family, but she acts, and she, she touches Moses' feet with a foreskin, it's pretty gross, but, but perhaps she did that because it was meant to be Moses' task. And since he was incapacitated in some way, we're not sure how, but maybe putting the blood on him links him with that circumcision. And this seems to be exactly what's needed. Verse 26, so he, we presume God, let him, we see Moses, alone. Everything's in order. Moses and his family are safe, safe to keep going towards God's people. What's this about? Well, this is about how we join God's people, how we join them. God was reminding Moses what it takes for him to have a firstborn son, a sinful firstborn son. And it was this, to join my people, there needs to be a spilling of blood. And it's all cause of this sign called circumcision. We need to just kind of go back a bit to what circumcision is all about. Because circumcision was a sign that predates Moses. It's a sign that was given to Abraham hundreds of years earlier. It's a sign of God's covenant promises to Abraham to make him into a great nation. And, and circumcision, in a sense, it's a sign of membership, a sign of being part of God's covenant family. It's a, a little bit like a, a football team badge. You know, wearing the badge is the sign that you're part of the team. It, it doesn't make you a member, but it's an important part of what it means to be one. And, and, and Moses here, he's disobeyed God. He's ignored God's command and failed to give the sign of the covenant to his son. Now, why does that matter? Well, to ignore the sign is to ignore what it promised. To say, God, you've given me a sign, but I, I won't use it, was to say, I don't actually care much for what it's pointing to. He was saying, I'm going to join your people on my terms, not yours. Because circumcision is much more than just a badge. Because the sign meant something. 
it shows you something of how you join God's people. Now circumcision, this cutting off of a bit of a flesh that was thrown away, it was a sign that God promised to cut away the old sinful heart, to get rid of sin, to give us new hearts. It was a sign that something had to die for life to come, that blood had to be spilt. That's how Zippor thinks of it. She calls Moses a bridegroom of blood. To be with Moses, she's saying, to be part of this family means blood had to be spilt. The old, that, that life of sin, that separation from God, it had to be cut off and chucked away. That's what it's pointing to. As Moses walked towards God's people, as he's rejoining Israel, God was reminding him that there was a stipulation for his people. They didn't just waltz into membership because God is holy and we are sinful. Something had to die. The old had to die. God is a holy God and, and, and he's making a holy people. And so Moses and his family were joining through the spilling of blood, joining through the spilling of blood. But remember, this is a sign. It's pointing to something. So we really get to understand it when Jesus comes because he came to fulfill that sign. So circumcision pointed to the need of death, of spilt blood, of the old being cut off. So Christ takes on our sin on himself and is cut off for us. That's where it's going. His blood is spilt. Not just a bit of him dies, but all of him dies so that we might be rescued, so that we might have life. He was our circumcision. In our hearts, the old has been cut away because of his death for us. As the writer of the Hebrews has said, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins, but there has been a shedding of blood. We are saved through Jesus Christ's death. He is our bridegroom of blood. If you got a little bit lost in this discussion of circumcision, this is the key thing. Jesus is the one who spilt his blood so that we can join God's people. That's what it all points to. And this was crucial for Moses to know. Moses couldn't just turn up in Egypt thinking he was above everyone, looking down on his fellow Israelites just because they'd been slaves and he had been like a king. He couldn't look down on a brother or a neighbor because he had had some special revelation of God. Why? Because just like them, his sin had had to be cut away too. He wasn't above it. His children weren't above it either. There's no pride or superiority here in God's people. You know, it's not like we're on a ladder, but Moses, you know, they, they were climbing a ladder of works. We're gonna do the right rituals at the right time in the right way to God. Some of us are higher, some of us are lower. No, there is no ladder. In our sin, we're all at the bottom. Christ has to come down to us all. We're all joining through the spilling of blood. To, to feel superior is, a, is like a load of you know, people being I don't know, handed in the street randomly just as they walk past. Invitations to a free lunch. And then, and then when you turn up, someone's boasting that they kind of deserve to be here, that they, they'd bought it, they'd earned it somehow. But no, it's a gift bought by someone else. There's no room for, for pride. Circumcision, it points to the glorious truth that we're all saved by Jesus. 
but we mustn't miss just here the presenting issue because Moses, he was ignoring the sign of this grace. He had failed to circumcise his son. And so in the life of his family, he was forgetting to mark them with the promises of God. He was disobeying God. He was saying he doesn't need to do things God's way. The mark, it's, it's just not necessary. You know, it's like a footballer turning up on the pitch without the right badge on and saying, well, it doesn't matter. I can, I can do things my way. Why do I need to mark myself out? Now for us, since circumcision pointed forward to Christ, As he's now come, we don't circumcise anymore. Instead, God has given us a a different sign, a sign that points back to Jesus. Rather than just pointing to the blood, it points to to the death, a new life, to the washing away of sins, to all that Christ's death achieved. We're still saved by the spilling of blood, but we're now baptized to show it. It's in our baptisms, God promises us the same things. The old washed away, forgiveness and new life, all through Jesus. And this little passage here for Moses, well, it's a stark reminder that God's sign, and so for us, uh, it's a stark reminder that baptism isn't just this little insignificant thing in the life of the church. No, it's a sign of God's covenant love to us. It's a sign of all his promises in Christ. It's a gift to us. So to ignore it like Moses, it's disobeying God and saying, I don't need the sign. I don't need to do things God's way. And the same with my family. I'm not going to mark them. They don't need it either. And if you, if, if you think you don't need the sign, well, then you begin to think you don't need what it points to. If I don't need baptism, well, perhaps I don't really need Christ to wash me at all. So if you call yourself a Christian and you you know you need Christ, but, but you or your children have never been baptized, please come and chat to one of the elders. We'd love to talk to you more about it. And if you have been baptized here today, can I encourage you to look back on your baptism with joy and great thanks. It is a wonderful mark on your life. A moment when you are physically set apart as one of God's children, pointing out to the grace found in Jesus. Because that's what our baptisms do. They point loud and clear that, that as we join God's precious Son, the people of God, we're joining through the spilling of blood. We're joining through the spilling of Jesus' blood. It's a beautiful gift to us. So two wonderful truths. Moses is learning about God's people as he heads towards them. He's joining God's precious son, and he's joining uh, through the spilling of blood. But lastly, and more briefly, well, what's it all for? What's it all for? Well, lastly, we're joining for God's glory. We're joining for God's glory. Verse 27, Moses, in verse 27, he's met by Aaron, his brother. It's kind of like a first step back into the people of Israel. His brother meets him and kisses him. He's welcomed back. And Moses shares all that he's seen and heard, and encouragingly, Aaron doesn't think he's crazy, but believes him, and they head back to Egypt together. And then verse 29, then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people, and the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, that he had seen their affliction, They bowed their heads and worshipped. Here we get the culmination of where it's all heading. 
Here we get the wonderful purpose of God's people. They believed. They bowed their heads and they worshipped. It's all for God's glory. Life is for him. Now that might surprise some of you tonight. Surely that's a, you think perhaps a bit egotistical of God. Why does he make all things about him? But the thing is, we do all center our lives on someone or something. And let's be honest, most of the time we're tempted to center everything on ourselves. My wants, my pleasures, my goals, my glory. Actually, the ego is far closer to home. So if we're going to be focused on something, then the best thing to have our lives focused on surely needs to be the best thing. So if God is the greatest good that our hearts can ever be set on, it's not, it's not egotistical to call, to call us to serve and worship him. It's loving and good because it's the best for us as well as for him. And our worship of him, well, it's seen in our lives and our hearts given over to him in every sphere, work and play, family and friends, when alone and when busy. But here in Exodus, we, we see there's something glorious about our worship when we're together. When we're gathered as God's people, like we will be when Christ returns, it's, it's then we know we're coming home, coming back to where we belong. Now, there are so many wonderful benefits of gathering as God's people, aren't there? We have friendship with those who are around us, comfort and help in time of need, direction from those older than us, connection, community, belonging. But those things aren't our primary focus, are they? Our goal. The glory of God, Father, Son, and Spirit, that's our goal. That's why we sing songs of praise, why we honor God in prayer and listening to his word. That's why we give of our money and time and love our neighbor. We're here this evening to gaze upon God, to fill our hearts with him, to be centered on him again, our rock and vision, our our maker and savior, our home. And incredibly, those other blessings of God's family come as we do so. Not because belonging is the focus, because he is since we're all about God's glory it just means we're somehow able to serve and care for one another we have something significant to talk about and share we don't make ourselves more important to try and push our way to the top we can serve because we're joining for God's glory now celebrations are a, a great little pointer to this I don't know about you but often in life it can be Tempting to feel like everything needs to have a purpose. I need to read this book so I can know that better. I, I need to do that so I can develop that skill. But, you know, everything has a purpose to it. But celebrations, they're different. They just are. They exist to celebrate. I don't know, like when you have a load of mates around to celebrate someone's birthday. You, you make sure there's some delicious food ready. There's some drink in the fridge, balloons hung up, fancy decorations on the table. And then you just celebrate. There's no other focus, is there? You just express your joy and your love together. Now, lots of good things come of it. Friendship, nice flavors, interesting conversations, perhaps an improved singing voice. But they're just byproducts. And we're here at church to celebrate, to celebrate God our Savior, to believe and bow our heads in worship because we want to glorify God. Our God who in his grace has seen our affliction. 
He's visited us in the person of Christ who spilt his blood for us and has come to us by his Holy Spirit. And one day, he will bring us his precious firstborn son to himself where the wedding supper of the Lamb will be laid and we will worship. Worship him for his glory alone. What a day that will be. Oh, we pray. Come back, Lord Jesus. Amen.